follow us on social media. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the tag team podcast. On Twitter, at tag team podcast. On Google Plus, the tag team podcast. Email us, at the tag team podcast at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail on the tagline. 6016544 tag that's 6016544824 you can also listen on soundcloud by searching the tag team podcast you're listening to the tag team podcast the podcast that is a wwe network companion currently covering 1984 wwf tuesday night titans and now here are your tag team podcast hosts jeff jones and john burke Happy National Dollar Day, everyone. Dollar Days! I think that means everything at Dollar Tree is free today. So why are we here? I don't know. Let's go. Thank you for listening to the- Oh, all right, guys. See y'all later. I think we have a podcast stew. Let's do this. I wanted free stuff from the dollar store. <laughs> As if it's expensive anyway. Yeah, it is kind of out of my price range. I go to the 99 cent store. Well- I have a fly graveyard building over here at the, the fort. I don't know how they're getting in. Nobody else can get in. <laughs> they managed to find a way in. I guess it's that time of the season. It's finally cooling off after this dumb heat wave we've had forever. It is getting that time of the year. Hopefully they'll die out soon. Yeah, I look forward to winter. It's a pleasant time of the year. Don't mind it as much as I used to. Is your uh, blood starting to thicken up now? Yeah, I lived in Maryland for two years. This ain't crap. But we have ice and things to slide into. Yeah, that ice in Maryland too it's just they get snow in thanksgiving time where we usually don't till the end of january you don't like snow we first moved up there they had snow it was kind of weird and it was november snow in november yep and it lasted till may it still didn't melt until that time i just piled it all up and put it in parking lots and yeah it's still there in may did they charge rent for the parking should have it's very inconvenient. They didn't put it like the furthest away. They just, oh, this looks good. We'll probably put it there mid parking space, prime real estate. Should have went ahead and charged for parking while they were at it. That's weird stuff in Maryland. Another podcast for that. All right, fair enough. Well, on episode podcast 12.25, I was out on a quest, much as Lord Alfred Hayes was, looking for Bosley and seeing if I could renegotiate some skills for him to come back and really figure out why he left. And while I was out, I did notice that we had some voicemails from some anxious listeners that were interested in possibly helping us out with some of the research. Do we have any definite biters there? Well, one guy tickled my fancy and was interesting and randomly enough, his first name is John. So I decided that he could help us out, at least on this one, give him a live audition and see how he does. So John, you're saying somebody named John tickled your fancy. Yeah, it was really weird that his name just happened to be the same as mine and it wasn't jingleheimer smith huh, interesting no favoritism no nothing there yeah, total coincidence you didn't know him from adam huh nope nope e-o-e well i'll be interested to see how john number two does we're just calling him jay but yeah jay all right yep has to earn the rest of his letters fair enough we'll see how jay does i'm interested to hear from him and did you say we'd hear from him on this episode we will indeed Ooh. got him to do a little bit of research of one of the wrestlers and one of the things that I didn't know anything on. Oh, nice. So, yeah. All right. Sounds like a plan. Previously on the Tag Team Podcast. And with that being said, let's recap episode 14. Episode 14, 
November 13th, 1984. We have Vince McMahon and Lord Alfred Hayes opening up the show. And Vince McMahon calls Alfred Hayes a turkey. Later, we are joined by Captain Lou Albano. And we do learn that he is now the manager of the spoiler. And with that, we go to a match with the spoiler versus Nick DiCarlo. And first, we see the match starting. And then we see Greg the Hammer Valentine hijacking the mic. Letting everybody know that he's here and he's the champion. From there, we head back to the TNT set. And we have Barry Windham joining the set. And we see the interview didn't go as well as it should due to Mr. Albano hanging around like a silent fart at a luxurious party. Next, we move to Barry Windham versus Charlie Fulton. And who do we see in the crowd? Hillbilly Jim. Must be doing some scout, but we'll see. And we have Barry Windham with the victory with a running bulldog. And we go back to the TNT set and we see Mike Rotundo joins the TNT set. We learn that he did some baseball, some football before he did wrestling. And also that Barry Windham and Mike Rotundo were doing tag team action. And with that, we go to a match with Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham versus Muhammad Syed and Bobby Bass. BB. And for that match, it is very exciting, very fast action and some good tags from Mike Rotundo and Barry Windham. And we see that Barry and Mike get the victory. Next, we have Nikolai Volkov versus Rocky Johnson. Uh, There is no singing in this match. Sorry for that. And we see that Rocky had a chance to do boxing instead of wrestling, but he chose to do wrestling instead. But that did not help him much in this match because he did end up losing to Nikolai Volkov. And the next segment we have, back to the TNT set, we have the world's oldest wrestling fan. And we do see that his favorite wrestler was the Swedish Angel and that he's from Cut Shoe, Texas. After that, we go back to the set after a break and we see David San Martino joins the TNT set and we hear Lou give him food advice and also advises him to watch wrestling matches oh and change his last name and with that we move to a match with David San Martino versus Mr. Fuji and we hear the chant of egg roll and oriental monster you just have to watch that match going back to the TNT set we have Black Jack Mulligan joining the set and he brings along with him the Continental Cowboys and we learn that he is an American from Texas and he has the chic that he wants to get his hands around due to him not liking America. But until then, we have to go to a match with Blackjack Mulligan versus Ted Grizzly, my favorite punch-out character, and we have him winning with a flying shoulder block. Next, we go back to the set and we have square dancing, ladies and gentlemen. No singing, just banjos and underage kids square dance. After that, we go back to the set and Vince McMahon talks to Blackjack Mulligan about Piper's Pit and it shows a clip of him on Piper's Pit telling Piper that it ain't right the way he does stuff and he's tired of the way that Piper's doing things. He's going to run his own show. And what is the name of his new show? Well, you have to check out episode 14 to find out. Next, we move to the advice to the lovelorn with the one and the only Captain Lou Albano. After that, we go to the Paul Orndorff review and it shows two matches displaying Paul Orndorff's awesomeness in the ring. Both finishes by Piledriver. And that is the recap for episode 14 and i hope you did enjoy the gif that we put there of this mcmahon at his best hi i am bosley and i am here with hulk hogan hulk thanks for being part of this promo for the new tag team podcast shop campaign sure no problem for each shirt or item sold a portion goes to the tag team podcast to help fund the web bandwidth cost we have shirts starting at $24.49. Wow, that's unbelievable. If you sold all those shirts, where's my percentage? Hulk, you don't get a percentage. Some of the money goes to the Tag Team Podcast.
us since they are their shirts. Those are my shirts. I've got a right to sell them. Do you want to cash me outside? How about that? That's not what I want. Look, man, I made a mistake. I apologize. I was a real horse's ass. That's what I thought. To visit the tag team pod shop, go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash the tag team pod shop, all one word, or click on the link in the description of this podcast or on the side of the web page. Do it, brother. I guess I blew that one. It's okay, Hulk. Our listening audience are used to it. That's for damn sure. We had a very ugly incident. He's alright, he's just sleeping. Yes, it is but another time for another incident. And this one I choose coming from 1994. Future. This has to do with six hungry men, one van, and one Dairy Queen. Let me preface this story by letting everybody know who exactly Jim Cornette is. If you don't already know who Jim Cornette is. He is certifiably insane. A distinction he earned primarily through the multiple meltdowns he suffered while trying to run the chronicology struggling Smoky Mountain Wrestling promotion in the 1990s. And I believe there is a WWE Network a short. I guess there's not many episodes on there. I wonder if you call it a short, but miniseries? maybe in april to august with about 10 episodes of 1994 so there's one season <laughs> i guess you could call it yeah there you go a smoky mountain one netflix season a smoky mountain wrestling so you feel free to check the wwe network for that but after smoky mountain wrestling show in 1994 six hungry men jimmy del rey jimmy Cornette, the thrill seekers which is a tag team composed of chris jericho and lance storm jr benson and rod heed set out on a journey for food reaching their destination Queen. They ordered food and they waited in line for about 20 minutes to learn that the workers have not yet fixed their food because they thought it was a rib. Jim Cornette says, you haven't even started yet. We wouldn't have ordered it if we didn't want it. At that point, Chris Jericho said as he mimicked the classical line of Spinal Tap, this is not a f***ing comedy show. Does this look like a f***ing comedy bus to you. The lady heard that and said, don't you cuss me, you won't get anything and closed the window. At that point, Cornette went off. I have provided the link at the bottom of this podcast for your viewing purposes, as anything else that I get into will just be a bunch of beeps. <laughs> well, because Cornette is not censored. <laughs> but yes, it was a epic turn of events there. Nobody got hurt. Nobody got arrested. They did get their food eventually. Spoiler. But it is definitely worth the time to watch it. I thought that was good. I thought that was really entertaining and that is Jim Cornette in and of himself. And that'll do it for Incidents for 1994. Future. Yeah, that'll be on the Facebook.com website for the Tag Team Podcast. Check it out. Well, it's still up there. I don't think it's copyrighted. Never know with YouTube. There is about 12 different versions of it, so I think we're safe. There you go. Once that link goes down, just email Jeff and I'll send you another one. Definitely. Do that 11 more times and you'll be good. If it goes down 11 times, I'll send you my personal link server and you can LOL all you want to. <laughs> we'll be right back from a word from our non-paying sponsor. <laughs> It's the Dairy Queen Banana Split. Come taste the excitement. In the land of Dairy Queen. Let's 
do some recapping. Episode 15, November 27th, 1984. Vince and Lord Alfred Hayes open the show. And what were they joking about this time? Cabbage Patch Dolls. But of course. For some reason. No strafe. I think he was referring to Christmas time, right? Getting into the holiday spirit. Black Friday coming up. Yep, number one best-selling toy at that time. Um, cab- I don't know the thing with the Cabbage Patch Kid. Yeah, I don't want to. But yeah, I will not hold it against you because that's pretty cool that you don't. I think of it. But I was singing the Toys R Us kid thing instead. Nah, no, not the same thing. First out, we have Mr. USA Tony Atlas. And I don't know about you, but I listened to this twice because I thought he said something totally different when he came out there. So I'll play the clip and then I'll tell you what I thought he said. I decided when I'm not wrestling, you know, sometimes you find stuff for relaxation and you know, like my relaxation, I, sometimes I get into a lot of artwork. A lot of people don't know that, but I enjoy doing a lot of artwork. So uh, now knowing what he said, I hear it perfectly clear. But the first time I heard it, I thought he said opera. I'm like, what? You sing opera? <laughs> Are you and Paul go out and just sing opera? Like, what the heck? On the second time, I heard artwork. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Even though I've seen him in other things, and I know it's what he does. He does art, so I don't know. It just sound like opera to me. Also, he looks legitimately paints like he's really that good yeah if you want to catch him in his paintingness he still does it to this day legends house wwe network it's on there and one of the episodes he's doing some drawing and painting he's legit how many of those legends are left i think only <laughs> piper's died from that show they did pretty good on getting the ones that last the longest piper was probably the most risque one they had on there as far as yeah he could go at any time even on the show he was a total loose cannon compared to the other one but yeah they're doing not too bad on that one. All right. But it looks like it didn't do good enough to ever bring it back because that was like when the f- network first aired three years ago and they hadn't done another one since. It wasn't the best watch in the world, but it was entertaining at most of the time. It was interesting. Hacksaw seems to be a confrontation person. Yeah, that's why him and Piper got along pretty good. <laughs> Brothers from a different mother. Exactly. So what we learned from Tony, and I kind of already knew it, he likes to talk a lot. He didn't really convince too many words and Vince had to cut him <laughs> off to go the match like yeah and what else you like do best let's go this match because he was still going like a kid in a candy shop yeah. but he was the most polite guest so far oh yes for sure i don't know if why he was polite but he seemed very well mannered and very He's from the country man oh we've had the country murdoch uh, and... texas i don't count <laughs> oh. southern boy yeah i guess so jyd was the same way wasn't he yep. yeah anyways i've met tony atlas he wouldn't remember it but i remember it i went to the first ever NWA Legends Fest in 2003, I want to say it was, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was there, so I got his autograph somewhere around here. But oh, yeah, he's sweet. a pretty cool guy. Told him that whenever I talked to people about him, because I was remembering the MTV True Life thing that came out, like, he's just like a George Foreman of wrestling. He's real friendly and easy to talk to and kind of lovable if you get to know him type guy. Seems pretty cool. He seems like he's friendly. Yeah, for sure. Oh, do you remember the paintings that he painted well he didn't have too many names for some of them there were just female paintings on some of them but famous ones were conan the barbarian which was arnold doing that role and supergirl along with mr t that was not fully finished i did like the mr t facial yeah it was
was pretty decent. I did a good job so far what he's got on paper. This was basically just to entice Paulo and Dorfin to set them up for hopefully something more than what we saw in this episode, but who knows? First one he showed was just a female bodybuilder, and he drew that one and said it reminded him of Paula, making reference to Paula Orndorff. And then he shows another female, a little scantily clothed, especially for 1984, let alone today. And the last ones were the barbarian Supergirl, Arnold, and Mr. T. Oh, there was one more, I forgot, the face of just some random lady. Who knows? I don't know, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't know. We had Tony Atlas versus Gino Cabello. Good enough, Carabello. All right, Carabello. Tony was scattily dressed for that match in the entrance attire. Ah, <laughs> uh, the 80s. I was going to ask him where his shirt was. <laughs> lost it up there. <laughs> it was a decent match. I mean, I didn't really get too much out of it. I got the head scissors lock times two. Yeah, it's an interesting escape on one of those, I guess. Just stands up. I'm out. And then I believe commentary, he mentioned something of the Tonga Kid and Superfly in action. Yeah, Vince was promoting. And we did not get to see this? Nope. More promotion for other matches. Newly formed tag team. Tonga and Snooker. You know, the finishing move on that's the dive from top ropes because they both did it already as their finishing move. I see this as the four man, two man in the ring, two man up top together. Splash. Yep, probably so. Double headbutt. Bam. Then saying, what a maneuver. <laughs> I got the win as a flying body press. I have the win as a flying belly splash, but yeah, you get the idea. Okay. He jumps, he leaps, and comes crashing down and gets the he one, wins. two, three. Yeah, surprisingly, <laughs> not this time, Gino. No, no, thanks for playing. No, thanks for playing. Can't beat Mr. USA. Vince and Bruno on commentating for that one. I don't know if we already mentioned that or not. But yeah, it was a quick match, pretty much. Tino didn't get much in. Nope, nope, nope. We go back to the TNT set, and I believe Vince was speaking about his physique and the fact that he was a Mr. USA, and he wanted to know if the little posing. Ah, not Vince. You don't care about that. Uh, Alfred Hayes was a giggling girl. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to have a better watch, if you go to the 12-minute mark and skip to the 13-28-minute mark, you will be set and feel better about yourself for doing so. Although, you won't hear the one boo in the crowd if you skip that segment. Allegedly from Paul Orndorff. Indeed. I didn't see him, though. I didn't see him, but he was there, they said, in spirit, in the crowd, booing, and I did hear the boo. <laughs> Could have been Terry Daniels. Could have been. Can't do anything back. else nowadays. Exactly. <laughs> I believe we cut from there yep. and then we have our Paul Orndorff interview well Vince wants him to do some arts and crafts while he's there he's like hey no one's done this since Blumbo during a show go ahead and start sketching so he entices Tony to do some live sketching during the show and they bring off Paula he comes out and he even has this robe on a robe to protect the suit and we learn that everything is made special for Mr. Wonderful his suits his ties his hair his socks everything is made especially for Mr. Wonderful and he has a lady that we'll see later take off his robe, staffing issues at the TNT set that they couldn't get someone else to do that, or at least her before she put on her costume. But maybe they filmed out of order. How are we to know? That's two for one. Exactly. You only have to pay her once, and she does two things. All right. Paul Orndorff does talk about being an original, and I got a little clip of that. I'm original. Everything about Mr. Wonderful is for, is for real. I mean, I was voted the best-looking man in 84 by all three magazines. I had best dressed man in 84 by all the magazines. So there. So there. Told you. Do we know which magazines? I'm guessing. That's the WWF. WWF magazine. Um, 
Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the Wrestling Torch. Now, I don't think it existed in 84. Wrestling News. I don't know. Well, I couldn't find him, so. Maybe he came out with his own publication. Didn't know if you knew right off. Paul Orndorff Magazine. I think he'd probably be in the land of make-believe, referring to U.S. Weekly, Times, and People. That's a fact. But, yeah. I think you're right. I'm pretty sure he's not telling the truth on that. <laughs> Not Paul. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Maybe he's just no, mistaken. And we do say, Vince speaks of Mr. Wonderful's arrogance. And Paul responds with, he's Mr. Wonderful. He's the best wrestler in the WWF. Not the WWF. <laughs> and in the world. Blue. It's a kingpin. That's why he's arrogant. Because he's the best. And then he leads on with a, I'm original. He compares the drawings that Tony Atlas did to Willie B. We'll find out a little bit later about Willie B. We go to a match of Mr. Paul and... It was actually started off pretty quickly. It only took 40 seconds to get started. Just moving up the pace a little bit. I was impressed. Yeah. He was facing five foot seven. Quick draw Rick McGraw. Mouthful? Yes, for sure. Who had a fancy robe as well. There was a reason why he had a fancy robe. What's that reason? He stole it. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure there was a good reason. <laughs> trying to out fancy Paul. Oh yeah, and it's actually something we forgot to mention in the interview. Paul Andorf had spoke about why he wasn't the champion or why he never got a championship title match. He never got anything. And I do have some trivia on Rick McGraw. I can go over seemingly quick because the match, there wasn't too much to the match. Rick McGraw was a person that the heels would beat before getting a title shot over. He was actually used as somebody that would put over the heels that were ready to challenge the WWE. WF champion, whether that be Bob Backlund, Greg the Hammer Valentine, but she spoke in the interview and says, I don't care who it is, Greg Valentine, whoever, he just won a championship shot. And I actually did make a little footnote here. We're going to go in the future just a little bit. Future. On October 26, 1985, on an episode of WWF Championship Wrestling, McGraw was a guest on Roddy Piper's pit segment and got on the host's case about always shooting off with the mouth and not wrestling on TV, prompting Piper to accept the challenge to wrestle him on the show next week. During his entrance, Piper repeatedly said, I'm going to show you why they don't let me wrestle on TV. McGraw wore Piper's signature Hot Rod t-shirt to the ring before blowing his nose on it and throwing it at Piper at the start of the match. Piper quickly took control, throwing McGraw out of the ring and twice into the guardrail. After no-selling several punches and kicks in McGraw's comeback, Piper hit him with a swinging neckbreaker and two DDTs on the second, prompting the referee to stop the match, declaring McGraw unable to continue. Piper stomped him a few times, then yelled into the camera, that's why they don't let me wrestle on TV. Coincidentally, the unusually violent match taped October 22nd aired the morning after McGraw died, leading some viewers to assume that Piper killed him. Oh, there goes our Dead or Alive segment on Rick. <laughs> Spoiler. I found that coincidental. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. Most unusual, as I should say, for this episode. But yeah, that was a little tidbit that I had found. I thought that was very interesting. It's hard to believe they'd have a five foot seven guy to put people over. But I guess it makes the hill look even better that he's picking on somebody not his own size. I don't know. Yep, but for most of the time, he had a pretty back and forth match with the heel. He wouldn't. Just a complete yeah. jobber. He was kind of above it. Who's the ST Jones chopper. <laughs> yes. Oh, he would have been. Back to the match. I had a couple notes on it. Uh, horrible drop kick from McGraw so that Paul had to take a bump, much like Carlos did. And Paul getting the victory with the wonderful Powell driver. 
Yep, seems to be his new finisher. He's done it the last three clips that we've watched now, so no more weird clotheslines to Chief J. Strongbow. What was interesting on this one, after the match was over with, we had some blue screen bleed over. Oh yeah. Start at 23.11, and then at 23.13, it was basically in full force. It's in all three corners. The only part it wasn't showing was the top, so that was good to see that back. Missed it. Not really. Because Hogan was blading again. I guess so in the background. I got the blue box. No. Back to the set and Vince asked the dumbest question I think I've ever heard him ask. The use of the pile driver uh, is is something, Mr. Orndorff, that no one in professional wrestling has perfected quite like you have. And, and it is also regarded as the or one of the most dangerous moves in professional wrestling because of the damage that it obviously has uh, done on any number of wrestlers. And I wonder w why you have, have chosen the, the pile driver is is a hold that you like to uh, to use as often as you do. Um, because I win matches when I use it. Thank you. Good night. <laughs> Alfred, you got anything? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's expecting to get from that question. Paul calls him out and says it doesn't take a mathematician to, to realize why it doesn't. Apparently, Vince thinks it does. Basically says because it hurts people and he can do it. The logical answer. Exactly. And there was also another thing during this part. You have to have headphones on for this, but the 2506 to 2308, I just nicknamed it Ghost. You hear like people probably talking over an audio or something, like a tape's playing or they're rewinding it, but it just comes across like, oh, like, okay, what the hell's that? It only lasts for about two seconds. Just weird to hear when you're listening with the earphones. I didn't see that. There's nothing to see. It's a ghost. But the audio is there. You just have to go back and kind of listen for it. Reminds me of Ghost Hunters or something. Did you hear that? I did hear the squeaky door. Did you notice the squeaky door too? Yep. Squeaky door is back. Thank goodness. I thought they fixed it last episode. I was getting worried. But nope, it's back. We'll have to go back and check that poltergeist moment you had there. Yeah, man. It's Ghost Hunters. The studio is haunted. He goes on to explain why he treats admirers bad. And Vince wants to know if he has any talents compared to Tony Atlas and that he can draw. And that's basically where Willie B comes in again. He already told him about him the first time and Vince has already forgotten. Yeah. Oh, you can draw. Oh yeah. I mean, if, if Willie B can draw, I'm sure I can draw. That's Willie no problem. Willie B. Willie B, the gorilla at the Atlanta Zoo. I told you who Willie B is. Looks just like Tony Atlas. <laughs> Things you could say in 1984. I got nothing on that one. I gotta let that one be. <laughs> Basically says he looks like a gorilla and that Tony's body is 50-50 because Paula doesn't have to work out where Tony's in the gym all the time. He thinks he has the better body than Atlas considering he doesn't have to work out at all and he just naturally looks like that. Oh yeah, it's natural. Exactly. Never touched a weight. <laughs> <laughs> just shots and other stuff. Yeah. They go over to see Atlas's progress they go to a commercial when they show it to us then they come back and they show it to Paula and he is not too impressed make fun of me embarrassing me in front of all these people out there no, but that is a nice huh? you gotta admit that takes obviously talent. you don't know how to spell and that face that doesn't even come close to me that looks more like boy George in a purse I don't wear no purse I don't have no dress on well you oh wait a minute huh you think it's funny you want to come out here and make fun of me? Embarrass me in front of my people? That is Atlas? not his intentions. That's not, yes, it was his intentions. And that's why you got me out here. And that's why you bought this big gorilla out here to do that. You think it's real funny? The people out there hollering Paula, posters everywhere I go, them little rugrats hollering Paula, 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 everywhere I go it's Paula. 
I'm sick and tired of it. Well, we apologize. This was not intended to Well, I don't you want your apologies. You know what? You can take your apologies, and you know what you can do with it. You can write them down and send them to me in the mail. It's the only way he takes apologies. He doesn't like verbal. Just written. He's a little sensitive about that, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Follow, follow, follow. The picture was of a female Paul Orndorff with a little bit longer hair, and as Paul Orndorff put it, he was wearing a purse, even though to me it looked like he was carrying a purse, and he was wearing a dress, and it said Paula out to the side. I thought it would look decently well. It could have been an alternative Halloween costume or something if he wanted to. True. He didn't necessarily say that's what he was wearing right now. He's maybe just making a suggestion. Well, he just thinks he's so pretty. Always, you know, make sure his hair is just right and his nails are done just right. So so he was just showing what everybody else seen. He wasn't attacking him. Well, this ordeal leads to a challenge. A pulls down challenge. Because, well, I guess Vince is there and this is what he likes. I've never issued a pose down challenge to anyone. No, but I do like the fact that this segment is actually building to a match for once. Maybe. Maybe not. The only one that wanted to keep wanting a match was Tony Atlas. Vince did not say anything about it and Paula did not acknowledge it being said. Who knows? I only hope. I hope so. That was a good send-off there. I concur. Next up, a makeshift set of Cafe Rene. And it's basically just the side shot of the studio there with some stage and fancy lights around it and a couple of tables. Oh, wasn't a real cafe? I'm afraid not. Wow. Fooled me. It looked authentic. <laughs> no, they were just right beside the stage they just came from. On this, we have dancing, magician, and later on, a pose down. If you'd like to skip this segment, because it's not going to really play too much role and too much. It's going to be 32 minute and 33 second, and it lasts until 51.25. Magician is David Arthur, and he basically does party trick magic. I was not too impressed. Okay, no, stop. No, watch the Magician's Act. It was actually good for the 80s. I don't think so. You will enjoy it. It's actually a breath of fresh air, as you could say, to what's coming up. But during the Cafe Goulet interview, he says that it is nice to be on TNT since he doesn't get to see his wife often as he's never there. He's always quote, quote, traveling everywhere. So it's good to be there. It's kind of a different side of Rene Goulet versus what we've seen in the ring. We've always seen the heel side or the one glove wonder guy. And it's good to see maybe him out of character as not being a heel. Not biting someone's stomach? Yes. Freak. Well, yes. Whatever needs to be done to win. And as John says, yes, uh, that segment we did cut to a stage. We did see some dancers. Yeah, the Lynette. And they did a little booty show. Sort of, yeah. And did you notice that somebody didn't get a memo of where the stage was? Did you see that? I don't think I did. Want the dancers coming? Check out Mr. Rene Goulet. He didn't know which way the, the stage was because as the show was going on, he was turned around the other way while everybody else was at the stage. Maybe his wife made him do that. Including his wife. Or they didn't want to be shunned. I don't know. So I guess we know who wears the glove in that family. Exactly. We know where the other one's at. Also, I believe we have the spoiler in the crowd as well. Yeah, they spared no expense for extras for this segment. Everyone that's supposed to be here already, get in here. After that, we do indeed, as John said, have the magic show. And the magician says, we need a lovely lady from the audience. Since there's only one lady that I see, Rene Goulet's wife was the victim. Well, there was a couple, but yeah, she was the one they needed because she had the fame. No one else was known there. Like I said before, it was a decent magic show. It was entertaining. I do encourage. I don't. 
expect our listeners to watch it. Would you like to know how I did one of the tricks? No. I'm not a magician, I can tell. Oh, like tell me Santa Claus ain't real. Uh, well, magic from this guy is not real. It's the scarf one where he makes the scarf disappear inside of his hand. I got a still shot on Facebook. Check out that thumb. Oh, yeah? It's a little bit different color than the rest. Plus, I did have a little magic kit thing. Small one, not huge or anything when I was growing up. And yeah, that's one of the things they give you is the fake thumb to, to do that trick on. So he had a disability and he could take his thumb off. What you tell him? Mm, he had a disability that he paid money for and yeah, he could take his thumb off. That's ghostly. It's kind of hard to make a thumb generic enough to fit every shade of color that's out there. So yeah, it's a little bit darker than the rest of his hand. But the good ones can try to shadow it and make it look real. He did okay, huh. but I noticed it. I knew what I was looking for. Well, maybe that's why I enjoyed it, I guess. Because I did it I was there. Like, oh, check him out. Ain't he cool? He was decent. Some of the jokes were the, but I think it just went too long for my taste. This was a wrestling show, and I think we had like four matches instead of six. So more matches. That's true. A little less sketch stage stuff going on. Would have been nicer. So next up, we do go to a match, and it's Renee Goulet versus everyone's favorite tag team partner of SD Jones, Nick DiCarlo. And lucky for us, it was a jip because when we start with Billy Red and Jack Reynolds on commentary, I could already hear chance of boring. So apparently we missed all the build up because now we're down to boring. And I can't say I didn't agree. It was a slow paced match. I concur. I think Renee's on his way to retirement and they're just giving him the strongbow treatment of letting him wrestle it out. As long as he watches his forehead, he'll be alright. I'll catch a clothesline to the back of the head. Or get stuck diving between someone's legs. Crazy. He did get off his trademark of biting someone's stomach. Thank goodness for that. And he ends up winning with the claw. Jeff's favorite fashion hole. Do not approve. Do not approve. Don't like it. Maybe if they would have built up the claw with something in the glove. Apparently there is something in there. How you fit anything in there, I have no idea. It's not that big of a glove. It's not. It's really not. The Michael Jackson thing. Exactly. Next, we get some cooking. Woo-hoo. Dancing and cooking on the same TNT set. Could we be so lucky? What is this? Unbelievable. This is like winning the lotto. Dancing and cooking? I know, man. And we're paying for this? I don't believe it. Crepe Suzette was being prepared, Ooh. but there seemed to be some issues. As we find out later, apparently WWF can't afford working equipment. Not enough. No. All right, well, I think they cut off the electricity somewhere. I think there's something wrong with the stove. Well, we'll fix the stove and we'll have a little tasting uh, here. I'm sure you would look forward to this one for a change. And we'll have that later on when we return. Maybe someone will turn on the electricity. Smell good? Yeah, <laughs> We'll have that a little bit later on. We'll be back. Yeah, that never happened. Yeah. It went the way of Sergeant Slaughter, Paul Orndorff's special interview, Jerry Blackwell, and the special ending to TNT that we never saw. So that's where that's at. Vince did mention that the food that Renee's wife was cooking is very fattening. Vince says, I can see that you've been eating the cooking already. Whoa! Yeah, shots fired. Uncalled for. Very uncalled for. We'll just call him a fat beast and roll him on down the stairs. Horrible thing to say to somebody, especially a person that's so nice to invite you into his kitchen and let you eat some of the food. In his cafe. Even worse. <laughs> Insult to injury. Did not approve. Next, we get to see the Rockstar. And Moondog. 
uh, Moondog spot. Thank goodness they told us because I wouldn't have known. <laughs> this was a super long match. It was good though, but it was very long. It was back and forth because you got two guys that are kind of named talent, even though one more than the other, at least for our knowledge. But yeah, it was back and forth match. Do you have anything on this? We joined the match in progress. Which is good. Makes you wonder how long it originally was. We watched 11 minutes. Seemed like to me there was two arm drags and then Moondog took a break. <laughs> And then they come back, and then there was two headlocks. Then he took a break. <laughs> he took a second. And I noted in there, for a big man as big as Rocky was, he was extremely agile. He moved like a cruiserweight in the ring. And I noticed some of the spots Rocky had a hell of a time trying to sell for Moondog, because I guess Moondog is just klutzy. Didn't like that drop kick. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying. <laughs> he had to work for that match. He did. And to me, I guess there's too much showboating for Rocky's side. I guess from my taste in that match, anyway, I feel like it could have been cut much shorter if there had been less dancing and flailing back and forth and more actual wrestling. I'm not sure if it was supposed to go that long or not. I did notice that while they were out there at the 109 and 22nd mark, there was a, a little clip out there that I heard and I recorded it. It was, if you listen for it, a little ring bell ping. It's just, it's not a ding, ding, ding. It's just like a ping, like you hit it with a penny or something. And all of a sudden that match wrapped up in 20 seconds. So I think that was their signal to, hey, in this crap. Oh, here's the clip. He's a very... Did you hear it? Just as Alfred says, like... I heard it. Very... I think it caught him off guard, too. As soon as they heard that, I was like, oh, and this match was over in 20 seconds. That was awesome. So I guess maybe there was a 10-minute time limit, and they were at the mark or so, and they just took it on home from there. Yeah, like I said, it was just too much up and down, too much showboating for me for what should have been a much quicker match. Yeah, it looks like Rocky is a little bit of a showboat. Maybe that's why him and Tony Atlas went their separate ways. Next up, we got the spoiler on mm -hmm. Yeah, he had a couple of boos, but he just ignored them. He was asked, why the mask? And he said, gives him a psychological advantage and his opponent a disadvantage. It's a good incentive for wrestlers to try to beat him and take off the mask in front of everyone. And he likes a mystery. Also, Vince states that he has a reputation for bending the rules and breaking the rules. And the uh, Spoiler states, hey, if you don't get caught, ain't no problems. Spoiler's trying to set a standard around the world. And as long as he wins, there, there ain't no problem. And he says that young kids and older kids and people write him state that he's number one in their eyes. We go to a match and it's Spoiler versus Billy Travis. Did you catch how they introduced the Spoiler? As the National Heavyweight Champion. And what the heck that mean? We all know Hulk Hogan's the champion. So I asked Jay to do a little bit of research. And oh. here's what he came up with. Take it away, Jay. The original version NWA National Heavyweight Championship was the major singles title in the NWA affiliated Georgia Championship Wrestling from 1980 until 1986. In spite of its name, the championship was never defended on a national basis but, rather, it was used only within a territorial region in which Georgia Championship Wrestling ran its operations. In 1984, Vince McMahon's Titan Sports Incorporated, which operated under the World Wrestling Federation brand name, bought Georgia Championship Wrestling Incorporated. The national champion at the time of the sale was the spoiler, Don Jardine. Spoiler went to work for the WWF and was briefly recognized by that company as national heavyweight champion. Meanwhile, a rival group with NWA sanctioning began in Georgia. This group was called Championship Wrestling from Georgia. They awarded the NWA National Heavyweight Championship to Ted DiBiase, proclaiming that he had won the title from the spoiler. 
which actually wasn't the case except for storyline purposes. So, along with Georgia Championship Wrestling came the spoiler, apparently. You get the belt, you get the wrestler. So Vince was like, hey, huh. we'll announce you as the heavyweight champion, but you won't wear the belt out, but we'll announce you anyway. I was wondering where the belt was. He's championship. I think that's interesting. Good find on that. Yeah, good job, John. You work on your pronunciation of DiBiase, but other than that, good job. Job you do is good. Him and Billy Travis go at it. It really got to me that he likes to take advantage of the ropes. At least in this match he did. They were there for a reason. It's the first time I've seen him use them as much as he did. And I can see some why The Undertaker borrowed from his moves. Yes, definitely. He was a monkey on a jungle gym. Like he had more air time than Michael Jordan on that one. Okay. <laughs> Billy Travis spent as much time outside the ring as he did inside the ring. So that was kind of unusual to see. Well, when you got a guy that's just jumping from turnbuckle to turnbuckle, what can you do? Usually you don't see too much outside the ring at all during these type of matches in TNT. They hardly ever go outside the ring. I think we've had like maybe four where they've actually gone outside and fought or something's happened outside. So while the spoiler didn't actually go chasing after him on the outside, he did throw him out there at least five or six times. Hoping to get a count out, I guess. Or humiliating him, yeah. Yeah, that was my notes. Rope walking, body slam, top rope, throat slam, victory. Yeah, there were some rope walking going on and for a good view of that, I put out on our Facebook page, rope walking gone bad. You'll just have to see what we mean by that. <laughs> but that's out there for you guys to view on the Facebook page. They come back to the studio and like Jeff was talking other earlier about him sending out notes and getting replies back, he basically discusses his philosophy, if you will, on wrestling and his theory that keeps him going. Basically the Finding Nemo theory as I've named it. I get thousands of letters week after week from little kids to old grandmothers to everybody saying, uh, Spooler, you're the greatest. You're, so you're, they you're, actually... You are number one. You are number one in our books. I mean, uh, they don't say that, uh, uh, although I do have a lot of letters saying uh, probably comes from the, down the road here in some mental institution. I, I'm not knocking that. But what I'm saying is they don't say that I'm a cheat. They don't come out and say that, Spooler, you cheat to win. They say you are number one. Hmm. In order to stay number one, I have to do what I've been doing for many years, and that is I have to keep winning and winning and winning. Just keep winning, just keep winning. That's what I think of. I love how he knocks the mental institution, sort of. He didn't knock it. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'll take fans wherever I can get them. Captive makes best. Straight jackets preferred, but hey, I'll do what I can get. Exactly. They can relate. I have a mask. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I'm all right with that. <laughs> with his philosophy. I like it. Goes on to say no one wants to be number two and no one wants to be number six. What's number six? No one wants to be that. Well, nobody knows because nobody wants to be it. Exactly. USA number one. Just remember that. Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> they go to a commercial break and come back for our pose down. But before they do, we get this little ditty. Frank Suzette were absolutely delicious. We thank you very much. They were really, really nice. You're welcome. Yeah, those invisible crepe Suzettes that we never saw. They were delicious. Thank you. So what do you think happened there? You think they just didn't turn out? They couldn't get the oven to work? They just faked it? They cut it for whatever reason from this episode? Well, they couldn't get the burner to go. I don't know why they couldn't switch it off. Get the other, whatever she was doing on the left, done, and then just do it on the right. I don't... I think they didn't turn out good. And they were just freaking horrible. No one even wanted to show them on TV. They like, yeah. 
Mmm, those are delicious, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's not to I can feel bad on them, I guess. I think so, yeah. I think it's just pretty much to follow up with. We mentioned it, we need to mention it again because they're going to know something's up. Yeah, they mentioned it 33 years from now. People are going to be like, what the hell? Where the hell is Grape Gazette? And we put this out there on television and demand. Yes, they had that on mine. Yes. Definitely. Vince is an innovator thinker. We know this. So, unfortunately, we still have the pose down. Yes. And just as disheartening as it was the first time, it's time we get Paul Orndorff in there also showing his pose down. Pose down. At least it was short. I think each person got about five to six seconds, and then they just moved on to the next person. So, that was pretty nice. Yes. I was glad it was shorter, but I don't think Paul had a fair shake at it. I think it was a quick count, whatever the heck that meant that Paul was complaining about. I think so. I'm not sure I have a quick count and audience who won participation, but to my knowledge, there wasn't a timer on it. But Orndorff did get mad that he ended up losing to Mr. Atlas and may or may not have to give him a match. So he decided to have his own DQ street fight in Oily Man versus Oily Man brawl out in Cafe Rene. I think Paul was justified in that attack. Now, should he have hit him from behind? I think Alfred got the worst of it. I couldn't <laughs> tell if it was wine that he was showing off when they came back from commercial or grease from all that oil they put on themselves. Oh, I'm sure he wasn't trying to hold either one of them back. I guarantee Spoiler was trying to help, but he just slipped and slide right off of him. Eventually, we were able to get them all into one area, but yeah, it was not a very pleasant fight since everyone was slippery. It was, yeah, it was definitely an interesting finish up to it, to say the least. I didn't expect it. Didn't expect Paul to smack him around. So with that, that was the end of episode 14. It ends with Alfred coming back from commercial, kind of closing us out, but then Vince joins him and seems like he's on top of the world. He's all happy about it. Not concerned at all. He's like, that was great. That's why they call this TNT. It's explosive. <laughs> Alfred got slammed. <laughs> He's so cruel to him. I don't know why. So going ahead, do you know what was missing from this episode, from the last two episodes for that matter? The last two episodes that was missing? Yeah, the last two episodes. So let's see. We had cooking. Yep. We had dancing. We had drawing. We had food. Oh, wait, nope. Take that back. Might have had food. I don't know. They said we did. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had... Someone had food. We had adventure because we went out of the studio to the cafe. This episode did not have the lovelorn. You're correct in it. But we had that the last episode, so that's not it. The only thing I can think of, and I'm pretty sure that there's a reason why. No mailbag. No mailbag. It's officially dead. It's, it's terrible. If people actually start writing, they were like, oh no, we have to stop this. <laughs> Crap, people think it's real. <laughs> the writers just ran out of ideas, so they just dropped it all together. No, they ran out of ideas and they had two men posing. <laughs> Completely out of ideas. I think Vince pulled Trump card on that. It's my show. We'll do it. I say pose down. Bodybuilding is going to be huge. You think he had that mentality? Knowing what we know about the WBF later to come, about, I don't know, seven years from then? Yeah. What a disaster that was. I would say it would be bigger than the XFL disaster, in my opinion. Didn't probably lose as much money, but didn't get as much publicity. But to me, that was a bigger flop. Yeah, that is true. At least the XFL went on to do stuff for the NFL, provide new camera angles and some talent they took over that didn't have shots before. Before. Yeah, bodybuilding 
Craig did nothing for no one. Except for Arnold. Oh, he wasn't part of the WBF. I mean, they tried to put Lex Luger in there. That's about the extent of it. Well, that's why it failed. <laughs> that was the problem. It's a total package. What are you talking about? I guess so, with a good manager. <laughs> so Tony Atlas was a big prominent in this, and so was Paul. They really didn't have a lot of extra talent besides the jobbers. It was just three guys that carried the whole show. And we're trying to track down some stuff to put it on YouTube. There was a good 1999 Tony Atlas True Life MTV. I'm a pro wrestler where it's Atlas, Triple H, China. One guy that's in the indie business. One guy that doesn't deserve to be in the business. That's basically a lazy loser. I wouldn't even call him lovable because he's not. He's just 20 years, 24 years old, dropped out of everything, still lives at home and thinks he's going to become a pro wrestler. So if we can find that, we'll post it up there on Facebook. Look for that if we find it. And if not, there's always the Legends House on the network and that'll show you a more modern Tony Atlas post Mark Henry manager, I would say. Where the 1999 one was obviously before he was managing Mark Henry. Who will do our best? Get Jay on it, John. I'll see what he can do. I don't know how good he is with computers. <clears throat> He was looking up stuff in encyclopedias when I walked by earlier. Jesus. I thought we threw them away. Is it Encyclopedia Britannica? Yeah, I believe those were the ones. Oh, God. You remind me to throw away the childcraft books whenever we get finished. We'll do, man. All right, ladies and gentlemen. What was historical Tuesday 27th, 1984? And that special week of November in the U.S., we're listening to Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by Wham. In the U.K., I Feel For You by... Shaka Khan. There we go. Beverly Hills Cop was the one of the most viewed releases in 1984 while the talisman by stephen king was one of the best-selling books that's all i got for this week in history the show overall wasn't too bad they like i said had some bleeding in there it wasn't too distracting we've had a lot worse there was no captain lou distractions going on so that was fine as well and other than the mystery ghost i didn't hear too many bad audio out of it no it was like they're getting their stuff together please oh so coming up next 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 episode, we have a special ceremonial occasion. Look for more information from that when we are ready to announce. But it should be next week, and it should be something different. But it will have to do with Tuesday Night Titans, and it will be all about the show. Looking forward to see what we come up with. You and me both. Hope Jay's got something planned, because I got nothing. Uh, well, that's what we hired him for, right? Exactly. Take ideas and just run with them. If we don't like them, we fire them. Well, we can't really fire. We can just lock the door and let him back in. There you go. That works. What do you want? You keep touching my leg. And with that, thank you for listening to the Tag Team Podcast. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your family's friends, tell the friends of your family to download, download, download. Thank you for listening to the Tag Team Podcast. Join Jeff and John next week as they continue to break down WWF Tuesday Night Titans. But let me go and find me something to slip into because I want to show him.